I'm Brian Chase, and this is Make and Multiply, Episode 9. Thank you so much for listening. In this episode, I want to introduce you to something that I'm calling protocols. And I just introduced these to our Discipleship Huddle questions uh, the week of March 10th, 2019. Uh, That word, protocol, comes from my experience teaching in a high school classroom. That's where I first encountered classrooms in, or uh, protocols in the classroom context. And protocols there uh, refer to detailed, structured process that move a group of students or could be faculty through some educational purpose, uh, like brainstorming or peer editing or discussing an assigned reading. And the features of all the protocols I've ever seen in the classroom, they usually have step-by-step, very clear instructions for what the group is to do at each step of the process. Uh, Usually there's a facilitator and a timekeeper and a recommended amount of time for each part of the process to ensure that the group gets through the entire protocol in the allotted amount of time and accomplishes the, the goal, the task that they have at hand. So your first thought when you see a protocol might be that it seems rather artificial or rigid, uh, but protocols actually give a remarkable amount of direction and freedom. Structure oftentimes gives us more freedom than lack of structure. Think about the way that the banks of a river give the river shape and direction, or the way that the lines on the freeway actually set us free to drive 75 miles an hour. If there weren't lines and you didn't know where the shoulder was or which lane was the passing lane, uh, I think everybody would drive a lot slower because they they would be unsure of where everyone else was going to be on the road. So the lines give structure and structure gives a sense of security and, and freedom. I like to think of protocols like training wheels. Uh, they give balance to a group. The goal is not to keep the training wheels forever, but to learn how to keep your balance. So the the point is not to keep the protocol rigidly forever, but to use it for the group to develop a sense of balance and Anytime you have a group of people together, you have certain group dynamics that emerge. And I think there are several ways that a group can become off balance. Uh, It could be a new group that's just getting the hang of things. And just like a toddler learning how to walk, um, there's a lot of uh, uneasiness or the group might be just kind of stumbling around trying to get their bearings as as they get the hang of things. Or you might have an old group and everybody in the group is so familiar with one another. Everybody's really good friends, really comfortable. It's so easy just to hang out and shoot the breeze without really getting around to talking about the heart. And before you know it, two hours have passed and uh, you've just been hanging out, enjoying the time and didn't really get down to addressing areas of unbelief and faith. Or you might have an unbalanced group that is really chatty and easily distracted, gets off on lots of tangents. Or the opposite, you might have a really quiet group where people don't readily share and sometimes it just feels like there are these long, awkward silences and nobody's quite sure when to jump in or what exactly to contribute. And in that case, a a protocol or a, a scripted process can actually encourage people, hey, this is your time to share. You've got two minutes. Go. It gives a clear cue to people in the group when to share. Or you have a group where one or two people tend to monopolize the time and that person takes, you know, 45 minutes and everybody else is politely listening and nobody wants to be rude and interrupt and um, you never get around to the other people in the group being able to share their own experiences or um, be built up and encouraged by the rest of the group. Or a group struggles to finish in a reasonable amount of time. Those are all ways that a group can get off balance 
So if you can relate to any of those, if your huddle has experienced that, a protocol might be a really helpful way to regain some balance together. So what I want to do in this episode is just suggest two protocols, two modest protocols for that second habit of repent and believe. We kind of have a protocol in place already for hear and obey, habit one, which is digging into scripture. Uh, We write discussion questions that you can use to, to study a passage of scripture. You can use the four questions, which I talked about in episode eight. My recommendation for habit one would be just set a timer, give yourself, um, you know, decide as a group 30 minutes, 45 minutes uh, to talk about the text of scripture and work through those discussion questions. And if you can't get through all of them, that's perfectly fine. Feel free to skip the ones uh, that aren't helpful or, or relevant. I write the questions and I don't use all of them when I lead my huddle through that time. So uh, f- as far as habit one goes, just the, the most important thing there would be give yourself a reasonable time limit so that you leave enough time to get to repent and believe and plan and pray. So when you get to repent and believe, here's where I want to give you a couple suggested protocols that would give each person in your huddle roughly 10 minutes to share what's going on in their life, areas of unbelief and sin, and then uh, allow time for the rest of the group to encourage that person with some gospel promises and passages of scripture that they could turn to in faith. And so one way to start this time would be take the very first minute and just have one member of the group, maybe switch up who that is each week, read aloud a passage that briefly summarizes the gospel. And there are tons of them. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 3 through 5, gives a really clear summary of the gospel. Christ died for our sins. He was raised according to the scriptures and he appeared. First um, Peter 3.18, Christ died for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Uh, you could look up Romans 5.8 or Romans 6.23 or Romans 8.1. Just read that passage so that everybody is mindful of the gospel. Christ died for our sins. And then move into this time. The first protocol I'm just going to call attitudes of unbelief. We post these 10 attitudes of unbelief in our discipleship huddle questions every week. These come from Daniel Fuller and his book, Unity of the Bible. I believe John Piper wrote a book based on those attitudes of unbelief from Fuller. And Piper's book is called Battling Unbelief, where he talks about these same things. Uh, Attitudes of unbelief are the things that crop up in us. We, We usually experience them at first, kind of like some unpleasant feeling. It might be guilt, anxiety, despair, pride, envy, jealousy, bitterness, lust, laziness, impatience. We experience that, and typically we become aware of that attitude of unbelief before we become aware that we are subconsciously believing something untrue about God or desiring something other than God in an idolatrous way. So attitudes of unbelief are I think of these like check engine lights of the soul. Uh, when a check engine light comes in on in your car, the goal is not just make the light turn off. The goal is figure out what the problem is in the engine. So when an attitude of unbelief comes up, the goal is not just feel better as fast as I can. The goal is figure out what it is at the root in the engine, in the heart that drives all of my thinking and my feeling and my doing. Figure out what it is in the heart that is causing this problem. So here, here's the protocol. Take two minutes to allow the first person to briefly share one or two attitudes of unbelief that he or she experienced in the last week, and and then just the most relevant details of the situation that kind of gave rise to that. So think about sharing it in four to five sentences, like a, a paragraph, if you would, and um, 
you know, that sounds challenging. Like, how could I share what's going on in my soul in just a few sentences like that? Um, in a single sentence, you could say, all right, I experienced um, bitterness and impatience last week when such and such a thing happened. So in a single sentence, you could say, here are the two attitudes of unbelief I experienced when this and that and the other thing happened. And since we recognize biblically that the root of all of our thinking and doing is the heart, then when you're the one sharing, keep your sharing focused more on your own heart response to your circumstances and situation rather than on who did what and what the the details of the situation was. Um, That way we avoid gossiping about other people and we avoid blaming um, our, our own heart responses on the situation. The details of the situation can be relevant and helpful, but that's going to be in the next step here. So just briefly identify the one or two attitudes of unbelief that you experienced in the last week. And a lot of times when people look at that list of attitudes of unbelief, their first thought is, I experienced all of those last week. How could I just pick one or two? But if, if there were a couple that just stand out that you experienced in a particularly strong or, or noticeable or, or troubling way, focus on those. And then the next step is after those two minutes for the first person to share, take two or three minutes to allow the rest of the group to just ask clarifying questions. And this is where, uh, since the first person is keeping it intentionally brief so that we can get through everybody in a reasonable amount of time, then we want to allow time for the rest of the group to ask questions that might shed some light on what was introduced. So ask questions like, what exactly happened if you need more information about that? Or uh, to get to the heart, ask questions like, what were you thinking when that happened? What were you wanting? What were you desiring? What steps did you take? What did you do? Uh, What were you hoping to accomplish by responding in that way? What was the outcome or the result of that? And those questions, what were you thinking and what were you wanting? Those really get down to the heart behind our response to a situation. So allow two to three minutes for the rest of the group to ask clarifying questions. And then take the last four to five minutes for the whole group just to point that person to specific passages of scripture, specific gospel passages, uh, promises from God about who God is that that person could trust in, in that kind of situation if that happens again. So next time that situation happens, you need not uh, be bitter or impatient because here's who God is for you in Jesus. Here's what God has done for you in Jesus. So that would give about 10 minutes to each person in the group that's not a lot of time, but that would make sure, you know, if you're working through three or four people in your huddle, that's easily 30 or 40 minutes right there. And so that's why, you know, we're not trying to cut people off in a rude way, but we're just trying to get down to the root and identify areas of unbelief so that we can turn from those in repentance and turn to Jesus in faith. And uh, we want to leave time to do that for everyone. So another protocol, very similar. You're going to see a lot of the same language here, but uh, I would just call this fruit to root or the four questions. And you can check out Appendix 8 in the Discipleship Huddle Guide on pages 41 and 42. I'll probably do a whole episode on this at some point, but uh, the protocol would go like this. The first person just briefly answers, again, in two or three sentences, what bad fruit has appeared in my life last week. So maybe even it would help if somebody in the group just asks, all right, uh, so-and-so, you're on the clock. We'll give you a minute here. What bad fruit have you noticed in your life in the last week? If you have have a hard time identifying, what what do you mean by bad fruit? 
Take a look again at the attitudes of unbelief or check out Galatians 5, 19 through 21. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. So, um, Scripture's clear, the works of the flesh, what bad fruit is, or Colossians 3, 5 through 9 talks about putting to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, or uh, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, um, lying. So Scripture's clear about these things, and just identify the, the bad fruit, do that in a few sentences, and then take the next five or six minutes and allow the rest of the group to ask specific questions. Um, the, the next question the group would ask that person is, so what does that fruit that you notice, that bad fruit, that poisonous fruit in your life, what does that reveal you are believing about your identity, who you are? You'll recognize these questions from episode eight when I talked about the four questions. The next question is, so what does that falsely say that you are believing God has or has not done for you? Are you, you know, believing God has abandoned you? God has left you all alone? Uh, the fourth question is, what are you falsely believing about who God is and what God is like? And then as a group, just work backwards, identifying, okay, so what is actually true about God instead of what you're falsely believing about God? What is true about what God has actually done for you in Jesus? And what does that mean about who you actually are? And then at the end, how should you be responding to life in the fruit of the Spirit instead of in this this bad fruit, the works of the flesh that you maybe have noticed in your life? So you're starting with the bad fruit, working down through what am I believing about myself, about what God has or hasn't done, about who God is or isn't, and then working back up in faith. And so the goal is to repent in the first process and then believe as we work back up. So those are two simple protocols give about 10 minutes to each person and work through in that kind of structured way. And as you get the hang of that, it becomes second nature and you don't necessarily need to have a timekeeper at each step, but it becomes a natural to the group to just regularly be leading each person through this process of repentance and faith. And that's why we call this a habit of disciple makers, because this then just becomes a, a routine part of our lives where we're speaking the gospel with gospel fluency and growing in God's grace as his spirit works in us for his glory and for our joy. Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles, missional communities, or gospel fluency, please email me at ryan at emmausroadsf.com. And if you're not currently part of a huddle or MC, let me know and I would love to help you get connected. If you're interested in more, you can find this content in our Discipleship Huddle Guide, which is based on the DNA Guide by Saturate Resources. The music on this episode is called Everywhere by Lee Rosevere, and it's used under a Creative Commons license.